Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to grab those and turn to Psalm 121. And if you're new to the Bible and you just got one in front of you, literally open that sucker right to the middle um, and you might hit it. Psalm 121 is where we're going to be this evening. And if you are new here um, tonight or new to this series in general, um, we are talking about how to cope covering the Psalms of Ascent. To catch some of you up, if you are new or you haven't listened to the podcast, the Psalms of Ascent are right in the middle of the Bible, and they are things that authors have wrote down, really God telling them to write down. And there is a place in Jerusalem that had 14 steps that would go to the presence of God during this time. And they would take one step onto this temple and they would quote one of these psalms. They would quote Psalm 120. They would take another step and quote Psalm 121 and so on and so forth. And the idea is it would prepare their heart to approach the presence of God. It was really, and and what we've said is that this series is very reflective As we are ramping up as the fall approaches us, a lot of you, you're getting really anxious, you're getting really nervous, you're feeling very busy, you feel like the load you're carrying is going to be a lot, and sometimes in the fall, things can just happen so fast and so quick, and you don't know how you're going to handle it all. So what I believe the Lord wants us to do as a group is look at the Psalms of Ascent And instead of looking constantly forward, thinking how fast, how much, how big, how awesome is this going to be, and you go through a season so fast, you really forget what God is trying to teach you. You forget what he is trying to say. So these Psalms of Ascent, what we said last week, the goal from last week really on for the next seven weeks is that you and I would hopefully allow God's word to teach us resilience, the ability, the ability to go through a situation, a scenario, and as you start to feel anxiety, anger, depression, fear, whatever the case may be, you would have the ability to look inward and read the situation and why you're feeling that way and not cope with other things but cope with Christ. That's truly the heart of this series that you would have resilience, the ability to go through a situation and not just hit the eject button and then have to learn the lesson again. The verse I brought up last week is Matthew 5, 8. And it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the problem with this verse is this. Your heart, I don't care how awesome mommy has told you you are, Some of you, that's a lot. You're not pure. Your heart is really, really bad. That's the problem here. The Bible says that my heart and your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That if you start to trust your heart, really, it's down a deceptive path. When you start to trust yourself, some of you already, you're old enough to know this, 
man, you trusted yourself a few times and you put yourself in a bad, bad situation. Amen, if you agree. Okay, sweet. So the sweet thing about this is for they shall see God. How many of you would like to see God? Okay, a good portion of us. So I've asked God to come. You can come on forward. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, where's he at? <laughs> uh, that, was, that was total. That was great. Um, no, uh, they shall see God. What does that mean? How do I become pure in heart and blessed is really the feeling or emotion or favor, if I can use that word, that all of you, all of you would like to experience tonight. Blessedness, happiness, joy, favor, favor or blessedness are the pure in heart. And here is what Jesus said because he said these words. Here's what he is meaning. The person who can look inwardly and read a situation about their heart can allow God to speak to them. They shall experience God in a real way. A lot of you, you know tons and tons of facts about God, but you've never really experienced him. You don't know what he feels like. You don't know what his presence feels like. Some of you, you remember a time when you felt his presence the most, and you felt being pure in heart. You were on a missions trip. You were at a camp. You were at a, oh, you fill in the blank. You were whatever. You were on a retreat, a trip, and you felt that you were pure in heart. And it's not that your heart is pure. It's that God allowed you to see in your heart what is taking place. And what we have said, this idea behind coping, I'm not going to totally recast the vision of the, the series, but all of us cope in tons of ways, tons of ways. Some ways, they're not bad at all. We've said some, some of the coping is really, really good. It's healthy. Some of the coping is bad. It's wrong. It's sinful. Or it's a good thing, and it becomes a bad thing. And um, after last week, some of you, we were talking afterwards, and some of the things that we missed are a good thing that God created is work. Is work good? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, sweet. We got some workers here. So you work, um, and is that, that's a good thing. Now, can you cope with work and it become a bad thing? Absolutely. You can see people ruin their lives, their families, because they work 90 hours a week. They don't have a relationship with their family, but man, they make a ton of money. They're coping with work. It's when a good thing becomes a God thing. That's how you know you're coping in an unhealthy way. Coping is not bad. It can be bad, but you need to learn, you and I need to learn that, man, why am I coping or dealing with this stress of life in this way? Why am I running from a situation? Why am I trying to numb the feeling that I have about this situation? And what, you got to learn to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Or why do I feel this way? Because I believe that God is trying to communicate to you through your emotions. There's a reason you feel so stinking depressed. There's a reason you are scared to death. There's a reason you're so angry at everybody. There's a reason why, you, right, we could just go on and on and on. There's a reason why you don't trust anyone. There's a reason why you won't allow anyone to come more than, hi, how are you, in conversations. There's something taking place there and for you to turn and say, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? And I believe the Psalms of Ascent are practical in this way. Last week, we talked about, in Psalm 120, how the psalmist said, in my distress, 
I called to the Lord and he what? Answered me. That he responded to you. That the prerequisite for God to hear you and respond was that you would be in distress. That you would need help. That you would need healing. That, you would, that God literally says through Jesus, he says, I didn't come for people who had their lives together. People who had everything together, that church, and really when you come, we are meant, and the purpose is to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that a hospital is messy, the people who are hurting the most get the most help, it's not always ideal, and the people who are hurting the most, it's all hands on deck to help them. Jesus came to be a hospital for sinners. So if you are broken, if you are hurting, in distress, you call to God and he answers you. So tonight in Psalm 121, and next week I'm super amped because it talks about coming to the house of God. Why you come, why you should come, and yeah, you're like, of course, the pastor tells us to come to church, right? So anyway, that'll be next week. Uh, You should come. Um, (laughs) Tonight is Psalm 121, and I have four real responses or questions for you to think through, and I said this last time, and I'm going to repeat a few things. None of these things, if you've grown up at church, I, I mean, if you went to Lake Center, if you, you know, grew up Baptist, if you were homeschooled, a lot of the things that I'm going to say tonight, you're going to be like, oh, I already know that. I already know that. But the goal is not that you would just have intellectual assent, but you would be able to be pure in heart and see God in the situation you're in. That's the goal. And for some of you, you've never, you don't even know what the Psalms of Ascent are. You thought it was an actual scent uh, that was taking place. The Psalm, you have no idea. I'm going to try and be very, very practical for you to understand what is taking place. So the first real point or verse tonight is perspective shapes reality. This is how the psalmist starts. I lift up my eyes to the hills. I want to stop. Don't read the other part. The psalmist says... I look up to the hills. Anytime in the Bible the person lifts up their eyes, it's a posture of prayer. Jesus said in John 17 when he started his prayer, I lift up my eyes to the heavens. When we pray, a lot of us, what do we do? We fold our hands, close our eyes, and what did your mom tell you to do? You bow your head in our house, right? You close your eyes by your head. Now, there are postures of prayer. There's five different ones. We're not going to do them tonight. But one of them is that you would lift up your eyes to the hills. Why is it important to physically and metaphorically lift up your eyes to the hills? Because when you are not lifting up your eyes, where are you looking? You're looking down, or you're looking here, or you're looking there. And what I like to say sometimes is you will start to navel gaze. Navel gaze. Okay, some of you just, you get like this. And I'm not saying you're actually looking at your belly button. That's really weird. But you know what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're like this. You just pout. You're in distress. Man, no one has it as hard as me. God doesn't love me. This is really, really difficult. Man, you just fold your arms and you, you navel gaze. You don't look up. You don't look at God. You look down. Or you look forward and you you see yourself, you see the people around you. When Peter was walking on the water with Jesus, one of the most crazy miracles you could possibly imagine, on the water, he's walking to Jesus. Jesus is saying, come, and he's coming. It says in Matthew 14, 26, he turns and he saw the waves. 
and he starts to sink when he sees the waves. And Jesus comes up to him and he grabs his hand and he says, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? It's because perspective shapes reality. Sometimes the things you are seeing are true because you have decided to focus your lens on that problem. Because when you see a problem, you start to think, man, how can I fix the situation? I lift up my eyes to the hills. And sometimes what you are looking at will reveal, reveal something important to you. If all of us were to jump in the bus tonight, and we were going to, yeah, we wouldn't all fit. There's 32 seats, not going to fit. We jam in there, we get uh, some trucks, we load them up, and we make a long trip to the Grand Canyon. Show up there, and we would sit there, and we would look, and guess what you would realize? You are very small and very insignificant. You, you're not really a big deal. You would see how big and vast creation is, and it would show you, oh my gosh, I am not in control. He looks up to the hills, and his perspective shapes the question. That's what I love about this. If we really tease the verse out, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and it makes him ask a question. If you are not looking at things that make you ask good, reflective questions about yourself or God, you're not looking in the right place. If you constantly just look at yourself, you won't have good questions about God. You'll look at yourself and say, where does my help come from? It's me. Where does, who does my help come from? Last week, we spent specific time talking about who. Who do you go to in distress? Who do you call? We talked about people. Tonight, we're going to talk about for where does my help come? From where? A place. From where does my help come? He looks to the hills, and it reveals to him I'm off. Something's wrong. I am in trouble. I need help, God, to cope or to get through this situation. From where does my help come? And you and I have to constantly put ourselves in a position where we see and realize how big God is and how small we are. And that is very important. Why is that important? In Isaiah 40, I have a couple references tonight from Isaiah 40. I should have just preached the chapter. He says this. I'm going to read this rather slow, if I can. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. If you are faint, if you are weak, if you need help, those are the type of people that God helps. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is the reality when you look at yourself, you look at your situation, you look at your stressors in life, you're having to make decisions you've never had before, you're having to look at certain realities, and you will have to ask the question, 
where does my help come from? Where does it come from? Where do you go to get help? Who, we talked last week, who do you call to get help? He looks to the hills and he says, for where does my help come from? My help, he says, the point number two in verse, verse two. My help, go to the next slide, Psalm 121, verse two. My help comes from the Lord. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to stop there and I want to talk about this for a second. A lot of us don't go to God because we are not convinced he is going to help. You're just not convinced because you have tried it before on your terms. You've tried those prayers. You've tried those church events. You've tried that conversation. And you believe, you are convinced that God has let you down. You don't believe that your help comes from the Lord. You would say, sometimes, once in a while, maybe, or you would say, I've never given the Lord a shot. Where does your help come from, or where are you getting help? All of us are coping with something to get help. Some of those things are good and healthy things, or good and healthy people. But if they or these situations are not centered around the Lord, guess what will happen? When that thing fails you, you will be exposed. You will be exposed. And when you are, when you are, you will have to come to the reality of, should I go to God now? And you, have, you do this accidentally. You don't even plan to do it. Should I go to God now or should I find something else to fill the hole? So here's the illustration. Um, and this is, I'd rather not share this, but you know me, I'll just send it. Um, when I was in high school, <clears throat> I had this weird thing that I was, I was super addicted to tobacco. Just, just heavily addicted to tobacco. I'm not going to, the illustration is not that, you know, tobacco sin, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> I would either be smoking cigarettes around uh, close to a pack probably every two or three days. And then I'd be like, man, I really need to kick this habit. So guess what we would do? I'd end up chewing tobacco. Well, at least I'm not smoking anymore, so I can run sprints at football. And then that would happen, and then I'd be like, man, I don't want to chew or smoke cigarettes, so guess what I'll do? I'll just get tipsy every now and then to, to cut the edge off. That's healthy, right? And then that's not really working. I don't want to be, you know, an alcoholic, so I'll just smoke a little weed just on the weekends because now I don't have to worry about that, and I'm not really chewing anymore. I don't have to worry about cancer, and marijuana is just really good for your heart anyway, so that'll just heal all those problems, right? <clears throat> Some of you are waiting for me to preach a sermon on is marijuana, you know, wrong. Anyway, um, so right now I'm learning to cope. I'm getting help somewhere. Am I getting healthy help, or am I coping in a healthy way? No. I'm 16 years old, 17 years old. I'm making these decisions, and I'm like, man, well, at least I just feel good. At least I don't have to worry about the stressors in life. At least, right, you're, I'm, I'm learning to cope. I'm just changing the things. I'm getting help, not from the Lord. My help would come from a substance. My help would come from something I knew. And then he says this. Which, man, I, we are not going to have time tonight. Some of you should have brought a snack. <laughs> who made the Lord, who made heaven and earth? I'll be sure to finish on time, I promise. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So here's what you and I tend to do. 
we tend to try to fix our problems, okay? We try to knuckle grip our situations. We try to get our help from ourselves. how hard we can work, how strong we are, how wise we are, how good we are at manipulating situations, how much control we can carry, how much things we can say, how much we can retreat and just be by ourselves. We'll, we'll find help in those things. Why? Because we're 20 years old and we've, we're pretty wise, Right? You're just smart as heck, man. If your boss only knew how smart you were, they'd put you right up there in the, in the top cubicle, whatever. If, if people only knew, you're like, cubicle, man, come on, I just want to work on the line. Like you're trying to find the right gig. So, right, you, who made the heaven and earth, and here is the reality about God. Actually, I'm just going to read a few of these. So pull up Psalm uh, 8, the first one here. Here's the first one. He says this, when I look at your heavens, the work of your what? What's it say? Fingers. Let's try this one more time. When I look at your heavens, the work of your what? Fingers. The heavens, the work of his fingers. Are you kidding me? This is how big God is. The heavens are actually his finger work. That's how big he is. That's how small you are. This is how big he is. The moon and the stars, we'll come back to this in Psalm 121, which you have set in place. And I love, oh my gosh, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Does God have to care for us? Is he obligated? Is it a necessity that God has to initiate? No. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why would God care? It's because he loves. He is not obligated. It is out of the action and the initiation that he loves you. The psalmist says, God does not have to care for me. And then in Deuteronomy, Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven, and the heaven of the heavens, and the earth is all that is in it. So you have the heaven... Then you have the heavens of the heavens. Okay, I'm not a smart guy. My head will hurt usually once we get into the first realm of heaven. But the heavens of the heavens, where that at? I don't know, I just know someone in the Bible, the Apostle Paul said he went to which heaven? The third heaven, right? There's, it's not just the sky, it's not just the atmosphere, but really it's referring to the presence of God. That behold the Lord your God belong. It's, it's what he owns. It's his real estate. It's, I mean, seriously, think about this. And I want to read Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 12. This is what it says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Take your hand and hold it out like this. Let's do a little interaction here. Everyone just hold your hand out like this. And I want to read this again. This is referring to God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? The span of the universe is in God's hand. That's how big he is. He looks this way at earth. 
you and I don't even know which way to look. You can put your hands. Some of you are like getting tired already. You're like, man, that was a lot. Uh, <laughs> right? So he, here is what I, I think is, yeah, I wanna, I'm going to read this, this one too. Sorry. Let me read this. Do you not know? Do you not hear? When someone is kind of being dumb, what do you normally say to them? Well, you're stupid. What else? Did you not hear me? Did you not hear what I said? Some of you get frustrated with people who don't listen. Raise your hand if you get frustrated with people who don't listen. Oh, wow, all right, sweet. My kind of people. You, you said, hey, did you not hear me? Your mom used to say this to you, right? Clean your room, whatever. Now at work, someone will give you a command or a charge, and you'll say, I don't know what you said. Sometimes Hope will say, are you listening? Uh, trick question. That's right. When you get frustrated, you reiterate I'm communicating something. He's saying, has it not been told you from the beginning? This is something you've always known. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circles of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Just, I have no idea how to apply that right now, but grasshoppers are very small. God's really big. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain stretches out the heavens like a curtain. This is how big God is. And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing. As I was preparing tonight, I had no idea that this was in here. And if there's something I need to hear tonight, it's that God brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. That your trust, my trust, is not in a prince, not in a king, not in a president, not in a political party. It's not in what they can do, won't do, will do, promise to do, fail to do. But it's in the king of kings and lord of lords. That he brings them to nothing and the earth as emptiness. God is bigger than anything and everything you could possibly imagine. Why am I getting so amped up about this tonight? You're like, what's the big deal? Where do you get help from? Where do you get help from? Luke, I skipped. Go back to Jeremiah 3, 23. It's one of the second slide. Truly the hills are a delusion, it says. Sometimes when you look at a hill or a situation, guess what it does? It deceives you. It lies to you. You believe God can't fix this. God can't help me. God won't help me. I've done too many bad things, too many wrong things. I've made too many mistakes. I can't get myself out of this hole. He says in the psalm, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And the hills are a delusion, it says. They deceive you because you cannot get your help in what you can mentally comprehend. You look at the hills and you think, I can climb that. I can climb that. I've done this before. I've gotten myself out of this situation before. I've muscled my way. I've had some good grit. I mean, my parents have helped me. People have helped me. I've gotten myself out of many situations. You look at the hill and you say, I can climb that, God. And God looks at you and says, no, you can't. That's why I have climbed it for you. The hills are a delusion. And when God sends Jesus to go to the cross at the hill of Calvary, it's because you couldn't climb it. You couldn't get your way to God. You couldn't work your way. You are helpless in a sense. 
So he sends help. Number three tonight in Psalm 121, 3 to 5. He will not, here's the point. There is safety in surrender. Um, let me read it. He, he will not let your foot be moved. So, you have your foot, and he's not going to let your foot be moved. Some of you, this is very insignificant, but I'll talk about this. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade or favor on your right hand. When it refers to he won't let your foot slip. How many, just raise your hand real quick. You have heard of the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Raise your hand. Perfect. In Deuteronomy 32, 20, or 32, 33. That's where that sermon comes from. And it says that when your foot slips, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God will bring judgment. 